As we have started a new month, for this month, we will be in a series that I've titled From Resurrection to Ascension. We will have four messages concerning the post-resurrection appearances of Christ. And then on the fifth Sunday of this month, we will have and look at His ascension, which was, of course, 40 days after the resurrection. So, uh, 29th of May is listed as Ascension Sunday. All four Gospel accounts give us some coverage of Christ in His post resurrection appearances. At the same time, they all have to be read together to get the full picture. And as we read them together, each individually, but all coming together to to give us the full story, the full picture, that creates another issue. If we put them all together, how do we figure the timeline in which they took place, the sequence of events? Or put another way, what is the chronological order? Well, sometimes it's right there in front of your nose and you don't even know it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and at verse 5, Paul said, Let's go to verse 4. And that He was buried, speaking of Christ, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen by Cephas, that is Peter, and then by the twelve. So He's seen by Peter, then by the twelve. And after, He was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. And after that, He was seen by James, and then by all the apostles. Of course, Paul would then go on to say, and last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. But it gives us a, a sequence there that follows, and, and uh, we are given a chronological order of the appearances and to whom he appeared. Now, he did appear to others, and, and they are in these appearances that he speaks of. And that will give us an outline for the the messages that we will be receiving as well. None of these appearances were exactly the same. And all of them had a special purpose. And all of them would serve to bolster the faith of His people and show the fulfillment of what He has promised. It is my prayer as we begin this that all who hear this that God will be pleased to raise us from the spiritual malaise that has overtaken our land. It was bad before the pandemic. And we would think that in the midst of the time there would be a lot of crying out to God. There really wasn't. And now that it has eased off, you would think there would be great joy and thankfulness to God, which there isn't. It is hard to explain what it is that is going on across our land, what is happening in the Lord's church. But perhaps if we go back and we see some of these things as they happened in the Word of God, 
Perhaps the Spirit of God will be pleased to raise us from the doldrums that we seem to find ourselves in. Paul tells us that Christ was first seen by Cephas, that is, by Peter. And then secondly, He was seen by the twelve. Then third, He was seen by the five hundred. And then fourth, by James and the apostles. In, in doing this, then, we find that the first appearance that Paul notes was to Peter. When was that? It is one of the more uh, less spoken about uh, appearances. It's somewhat shrouded in controversy, if you will. When did Jesus appear to Peter? Well, we know that He first appeared to the women who had come to the tomb appearing to Mary Magdalene first as we read in both Mark uh, 16 and verse 9, and then also in, in John 20 and verse 15. Then we read that He appeared to the rest of the women, and we see that in Matthew 28 and verses 9 through 10. And at that point, He commissions the women to go and tell His brethren. It is one of the ironies of Scripture. This won't set well in our modern hearing. But at this time in history, as things were perceived, women were not known to be the best witnesses. The standard was in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let everything be established. At that time, if the women were bringing it, it would have to be double that number. And so it is interesting that in His first appearance, post-resurrection, Jesus appears to the women and tells them to go and tell His brethren. It was also that time that the guards told the chief priests about the events of the empty tomb and how their silence was purchased. And we have the record of the first lie that was told ever concerning the resurrection. I think I've brought it up before, but the preposterous idea that the disciples came and stole His body. Where did they put it? Why did they keep it? If He was in the tomb, wouldn't they just leave it alone? Every single one of them, I think we covered this before, but every single one of them except for John died because of the testimony of Christ. That He was raised from the... Every single one except John, according to tradition, were, were killed because of their testimony to Christ and the resurrection. Now, how 
many of you are willing to die for a lie that you told? As we said, there, there have been many who died because someone else lied. But find a person that's willing to die for a lie that they told themselves. But anyway, that's a, another story for another time. Somewhere in between this time and Jesus joining with the two on the road to Emmaus, somewhere in that time, He appeared to Simon Peter. Oddly enough, of this appearance, neither of the Gospels give details, but it was indeed a fact, and it will be spoken of. But for a moment, let's look at His appearance to the two on the road to Emmaus. In Luke chapter 24, and verse 13, Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And so it was, while they conversed and reasoned, that Jesus Himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained, so they did not know Him. And He said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another? as you walk and are sad. Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened here in these days? Then he said to them, What things? So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered Him to be condemned to death and crucified Him. But we were hoping that it was He who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, beside all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain of the women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. So they are walking along seven miles from Jerusalem, so they're walking away from Jerusalem back to Emmaus. And as they are walking, Jesus joins them. Only they're not aware that it's Jesus who has joined them. Their eyes were restrained. Perhaps they were restrained supernaturally. Perhaps, as Jesus said, why are you walking in our sad? Well, when you're walking in your sad, what's your posture? It's not looking up and around, but generally your head is bowed and you're just looking down at the ground. And maybe that was the case, that they just didn't recognize Him because they didn't look at Him. Their eyes were restrained. And they did not look up to see who had joined them. Now there's all kinds of speculation. We saw, well, well, how were their eyes restrained? 
Did sand blow in their eyes that they were not able to see? I would think He who made the eye, He who fashioned the eye, can then direct it to be able to see and not see. The thing I think we ought to get from this is that He appeared in His resurrection body, which apparently was the same as His physical body. He didn't change bodies in the tomb. He didn't come to the glowing, all kinds of radiating light coming from Him or a halo falling around His head or, or any kind of, of fire coming out of His eyes or anything like that. He looked like any other man and He sounded like any other man. And that's another thing that they, people go on and on about to, to what end? Well, what kind of body did He have after the resurrection? You know, He could walk through walls. Where does it say that? Where does it say that Jesus walked through a wall? It doesn't. But people speculate that. Well, He's standing in the middle of the room and the doors were shut. So from that you say He walked through the wall. Now that's speculation. Again, when we leave the Word of God and we start to speculate, we get into all kinds of crazy tangents. And so there's a question in in verse 17. What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? And they give the reply that we just read in verses 18 through 24. Now, know what Jesus did beginning at verse 25. And then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Now, this is a rebuke, it's a Pretty strong rebuke. But these are men who were supposed to know the Old Testament. And he's saying, the Old Testament, as he will repeat over and over again, the Old Testament pointed to him. But I want you to see when he and he says these things. He said, O foolish one, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ who have suffered these things and to enter into His glory. And then notice verse 27. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, He expounded to them all the Scriptures, in all the Scriptures, the things concerning Himself. Now what's the Scriptures? As we said before, at that time it's the Old Testament. And He says, all the Scriptures... All the Scriptures, beginning at Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. Numbers. And then the prophets. Well, the Psalms are included in the prophets because David was considered a prophet. So throughout the Old Testament, he, as he's walking along, said, here's these things in the Old Testament in the Scriptures that pointed to me. He showed them from the Old Testament. But notice something else in the wording. Beginning at Moses and all the prophets, 
he expounded to them all the things that the scriptures concerning himself. He opened, is another way that we would say it. He opened the word to them, which means what? Up to his opening it, it was closed. If something's already open, you don't open it. It has to be closed for you to open it. They had read these things probably any number of times, but they had never really read it. Read it with understanding. Well, they invite Him to come and stay with them. And then in verses 30 and 31, now it came to pass, as He sat at the table with them, that He took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and then they knew Him. And He vanished from their sight. They still don't know who this stranger is. He sits down, it's time to have something to eat. It's near dark. And Jesus takes the bread and He breaks it and begins to distribute it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they knew Him. And He vanished from their sight. In verse 32, And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while He talked with us on the road? And notice once again, while He opened the Scriptures to us. While He opened the Scriptures to us. It says then, also in verse 31, that He vanished. I don't think He vanished as a ghost. I think it was the same situation as in Luke chapter 4 and verse 30 where they came to stone Him, but He passed through their midst. Or in John chapter 5 and verse 13, a similar thing took place. It's just another way of saying He swiftly withdrew from their company. And the same power that kept them from seeing Him before now worked again to keep them from seeing Him leave. But here's where speculation causes people to miss the bigger picture. It's not how He appeared or disappeared. It is what He said. It is what He did. And just as He revealed Himself in the Scriptures, so He continues to do. Did not our our heart burn within us while He talked with us on the road and while He opened the Scriptures to us? Now these men know, even though it was near darkness, near nighttime, they made a quick walk back to Jerusalem. And they returned to Jerusalem and they went to to where the eleven were staying Verse 33, So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together. So there's, there's more than just the eleven. There's, there's quite a, probably a room full of people now because word has gotten out that Jesus has risen 
So other believers have joined with the eleven. And so they rose up that very hour, returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together. Now, here's where we have to pay close attention to the activity that's going on. The eleven and those who were together in the room in verse 34 say, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. So this was kind of a greeting. When these two came in, they're well known by the rest. And so they they come in and they get this greeting. The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. It's a big deal. You see, if they just said the Lord is risen, they might say, yes, the Lord is risen. Yeah, okay, yeah, we just talked to Him. So, yeah. We, we agree. But they said, the Lord is risen indeed. It's a fact. It's undeniable. How? Because He's appeared to Peter. He's appeared to Peter. And that has cinched the whole thing. It's a major proof. And think about this too. That He appears first the first of the disciples he appears to is Peter, the man who denied him three times. So these two men, Cleopas and the friend of his, they come in, they're they're greeted with this by the eleven and those who are with him. The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. So then, in verse... In verse 35, now the two men speak and they told about the things that had happened on the road and how He was known to them in the breaking of bread. So there's a sequence of what's being said and how it's being said and who says it. Two men who were known by the followers of Jesus came into the room to the great greeting, the great good news that they too had been rejoicing in. The Lord is risen. But not just that the Lord is risen, but the Lord is risen indeed. Truly, He has risen. It's a matter of fact that's made sure by the appearance that was made to Simon Peter. So we can read it as this, the Lord has really risen because He's appeared to Simon Peter. It is crucial evidence. It's crucial evidence that turned their despair into delight. Well, to add to this time of joy, then the two men in verse 35 begin to tell them what happened to them as well. I think the ESV does a slightly better job of making the sequence clear. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And then in verse 3, then they, the two men, 
told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Jesus revealed himself. And how did he reveal himself? Did he say to the two men as they were walking along, Behold my hands and my feet? Did he say when he when we'll see in just a moment? As as he deals with these two men on the road, what does he do? He opens the word of God to them. And then after that, then there's the breaking of the bread, so you have he appears to them by word and by sacrament. The breaking of the bread as in the Lord's Supper. And so He reveals Himself by the Word and then by the sacrament. And later, we see also that He revealed Himself by witness. He appeared to Peter. So you have, you have the Word, you have the sacrament, you have the witnesses of those who saw it. Who would tell the others. But He has the Word and the witness you see, the Bible is enough. Jesus, as when He was speaking to these two on the road to Emmaus, doesn't it make sense that He's telling them, the Word is enough. You should know already because you read of these things. They were prophesied. The Word should be enough for you. Remember Thomas. He gets the word, but he says, Oh, no, no, no. Unless, unless I see those imprints in his hands and put my hand inside, no, I am not going to believe. Now, Jesus accommodates him, of course, but then what about what Jesus said afterward? Blessed are those who don't have to see to believe. The rich man in Lazarus. The rich man in the torments of hell says, Send Lazarus to my brothers and they don't come to this place of torment. And Abraham's response to him is what? They have the law and the prophets. Let them read them. Oh, no, the, 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 you see the... the the man in hell is telling them how to do evangelism. Oh, they'll believe someone who came back from the dead. Abraham says, there's a more sure witness. It's the Word of God. And so, with Cleopas and his friend, what does Jesus do? Go back to the Word. Peter, upon seeing Jesus, would tell others, I have seen the Lord. And of course, he becomes a witness at that point. And really, in the Word of God, we do have in the Gospels the witnesses of those who saw these things. But what I want you to see, beloved, in the final moments here, that Jesus uses the same means today that He used then. And will till he returns. Now, another 
observation that can be made from this. The one thing that we see happening in both occasions, in both appearances that we have looked at at this point, Before Jesus appeared, we notice in Luke 24 and verses 14 and 15, what are these two men doing as they're walking along? They're walking, they're talking about Jesus. They're talking about, and then Jesus joins with them. Well, what do we find in the upper room or in this room where they have gathered together the disciples and the others who had joined with them? What were they doing? They were talking about Jesus. And then in verse 36, He appears. What does that say to the churches out there that are preaching this stupid health, wealth, and prosperity kind of thing? You, 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 you can do this. You can do this. You can have a catalog. You can have this. You can have that. And it's all about people and not about Christ. If you don't mention His name, He's not there. One last thing. In verse 27, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, He expounded, He opened to them in all Scriptures the things concerning Himself. In verses 44 and 45, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And notice verse 45, and He opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures. He opened their understanding. So He did it with Clopas. He does it with the rest of the group here in that room. Now you'd think the eleven, they might have an advantage. But they had to have the Scriptures open to them by Christ. This shows our need of help, our need of humility. You see, the Bible's not a novel or any other man-made genre of writing. It's the Word of God. And it takes the author of the Word to reveal the Word to us, to explain it to us. I was told of a a Bible study that went on at a certain university that is fairly close geographically to where we are, but not theologically. And they were preparing to have a Bible study. They said, we want you to come and we want you to bring passages of Scripture that deal with diversity and God blessing diversity. Well, there's a problem right there. You, you say, we got to make the Word of God bend to our theme. Man, you don't do that. You bend to the Word of God. Not You don't bend the Word of God to you. And so, this one, who's I guess was leading that particular Bible study, brought forth what the were events at the Tower of Babel. Now you might remember Genesis, the Tower of Babel. They make this huge tower. It goes almost all the way up to the sky. 
And this is their monument to their greatness. There's all one people. They're all one language. They're all gathered around. And they make this thing and they think, oh yeah, we're going to just get up to heaven on our own ability. We will be sort of like God's. And what does God do? He destroys the tower and He distributes the people. And He gives them other languages. So there is no chance of them ever coming together again like that to do that sort of thing. That is not God blessing diversity. I don't know how in the world you could ever stretch it that far to get that out of there. That's not what the Word says. It was a punishment, a judgment from God for what they did. But oh, in this time we live, we can make the Bible say anything we want to. No, you can't. Oh, you have the freedom as an American citizen to say what you want to. But under God, you have no authority to change His Word or to make it say something it was never intended to say. When false applications and explanations are made of the Word of God, it's a sign that God is not revealing. I'll close with just one last place in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10 and verse 21. In that hour Jesus rejoiced, rejoiced in the Spirit, and said, I thank You, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that You've hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in Your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. He said to the disciples, He said to them privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things that you see. Why? Because those eyes have been opened. Those ears have been opened. And so we, we close with this understanding that unless the Lord reveals, we won't know. And we will be like the blind man in the dark cave. But we would pray. Pray that the Lord has opened to us His Word and will continue to open His Word to us. Let's stand together for prayer.